You're listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, a podcast dedicated to helping executives train their sales and marketing teams to optimize growth. Whether you're looking for techniques and strategies or tools and resources, you've come to the right place. Let's accelerate your growth in three, two, one. Welcome everyone to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. I'm your host, Chad Sanderson. When it comes to change management and developing growth strategies in B2B sales organizations, we often see the catalyst being a decline in overall sales or productivity from the teams. Trends start downward with win rates decrease, sales cycles get longer, deal sizes smaller, and revenue executives all of a sudden decide revamping a growth strategy is now necessary. But there are often challenges, and as we know, roughly 80% of change initiatives and growth strategies fail. The question is why? Is there a way to approach change management and growth in a revenue role that reduces risk and delivers the right results? Today, we're talking with Imtiaz Patel, founder of Accelerated Growth Solutions, a proven executive with over 10 years experience consulting with leading with and leading teams to revamp circulation at the Dow Jones Company before moving into the B2B side of the house. He was also a leader at the Children's Place, heading numerous growth strategies. Today, he's a highly sought after business consultant, helping organizations define and implement growth strategies designed to optimize their revenue. Thank you very much for taking the time, especially after the reschedules we had to go through. And welcome to the show. Thank you, Chad. I really appreciate you having me on the show. Excellent. So before we jump in, Taz, we, we jump into kind of a weird question just to help people understand you a little bit better as a person. I, and I've kind of been on this kick lately. would love to understand if you have a hobby or pastime that you're extremely passionate about that some may be surprised to learn about considering your focus in the B2B space. Uh, ooh, yeah, I used to have a food blog and uh, I say used to because I just shut it down a couple of weeks ago, <laughs> but I'm an avid foodie and I used to write restaurant reviews, recipes, I'd make up stuff. I love cooking and I had a particular niche, which was pork belly recipes. Whoa. And I had like at one point, yeah, over 50 pork belly recipes. And if you Google pork belly recipes, I would come in at number one on the Google organic <laughs> search. Really? That's awesome. Where did that come from? Where'd that passion come from? I don't know. I was, uh, I was, actually, it was a sales meeting I was running, and um, we had, it, it was in Dallas, and uh, we had um, a really nice dinner put together for all the attendees and stuff, and the chef was, uh, was talking about how much he loves pork belly, and he had pork belly on the recipe, and that day I fell in love with pork belly. Wow. Excellent. And it's amazing where some of those passions come from or where they lead. Unfortunately, though, you shut it down just a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. You know, I found that um, it's harder to uh, not show the effects of eating too much pork belly. Um, <laughs> gotcha. Okay. So we're focused on health. Yeah. Now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I decided, you know what, let's take up photography as a creative outlet. So that's kind of where I'm going to put my energy now. Excellent. All right. So let's, let's start with, let's jump in the topic of the day, start with kind of a higher level view of change or transformation initiatives. You've obviously led several very large and successful ones for, for companies that are well-known, you know, Dow Jones company. What have you found to be the critical elements for success within these initiatives? Yeah. You know, it's what defines success versus what defines failure. I think there's a very fine line between them. But when I when I think of all the initiatives I run and the ones that have been really successful, it has to start with a vision. 
where are we going? Why are we going there? What's really the rallying call that everyone can kind of get around? Otherwise, it's kind of change for change's sake. And nowadays, that every organization has some change initiative going on. So it's, it's a little <laughs> bit of fatigue. So you need something that people can rally themselves around. So that's kind of one. And there's three components to this. Uh, the second is really around the process of inclusion. I always make sure that I talk to the people on the ground. I talk to everyone. I probably over-talk and get input. And sometimes people don't need their ideas to be adopted, but they want to be heard. So for a successful initiative, you've got to make sure that you're listening to people and including their ideas or including their voice. And that's not just at the start of an initiative, but throughout the initiative, you're getting feedback. And the third, and this one actually really surprises me, how poor a lot of companies are at planning. And they well, they don't put together project plans with specific milestones and deliverables. I'm not a huge fan of uh, thousands and thousands of lines of project plans, but <laughs> you need the key steps. You need to understand the milestones, like where should I be at one point? And what are, what are the dependencies so you know what to include and what, what's going to be delayed by something else? So even if you have a structured high-level plan, I think that helps. So that, I think those are the three components, vision, process of inclusion, and just planning. And when we think about, you know, when we think about change initiatives and, and, and the catalyst for them, right, it usually, unfortunately, there's some negative connotation to, to the change, right? Executives have some indicator that, hey, we need to do something different. We're not being successful with where we're going. But just that vision portion of it, I've seen companies struggle with it in ways that seem to set up some of these initiatives for failure. If we look just at the vision component, any insights or direction you could give revenue executives to help them come together and align on a vision? Yeah. So, you know, sometimes um, I'm not going to say who this is. This is not a client of mine, but it's a um, <laughs> company I know well, and I know a lot of people there. They decided they were going to have a vision uh, and they put a number out there of what they wanted to achieve. And they called it membership goal. So I asked the question, so why is that number important? Not one person could answer the question. <laughs> so that's not a compelling vision, right? That's like you, you just threw out a number there, and we don't understand why it's important. So when you're thinking about vision, you have to kind of have the rationale behind it, uh, and there's some logical thought. And I think – and it's it can't be too abstract either. It has to be simply – easily explainable about why we're going here, why we need to do this, and why this is important. So I think those are kind of really critical examples around the vision. And again, include people in developing the vision. Everyone has an interesting, different point of view that could enrich the vision. Yeah, I've always found it's it's interesting as as I consult with more and more companies, we always ask, you know, hey, we want to talk to some people in the field because uh, no offense, but what your view of the organization is from up here in the C-suite is completely different than what your what your team's view of it may be. So I think you've you know you've hit on a, a critical point. If you're not willing to 
understand the different perspectives or facets that make up your organization, how can you truly set, to go back to your inclusion point, a vision that includes everyone rather than it just being seen as a, you know, as a point in a direction from the C-suite that everybody has to march towards? Absolutely. And, you know, uh, I'll give you an example from my experience. So when I took over, um, there was one role I had was as the general manager at the Wall Street Journal. And I was now responsible for three different sales teams, about 60 salespeople in the B2B space. And so I said, you know what? The only way I'm going to get to understand the business is I'm going on the road three days a week at least. And for weeks, I just spent it on the road with the sales reps, talking to clients, really understanding. If you don't do, and, and the person who was in the role before me, in two years, he probably met two clients. Oh. That was it. So it's like, if you don't get into the trenches, how are you really going to understand the issues that your team is facing and, and your clients are facing, but then you need to be able to pull yourself up and say, okay, big picture, what does this all mean? Excellent. And so when we look at these change initiatives, you know, like I said, we, the catalyst is often, you know, a, I don't want to say negative, but let's say a less than uh, beneficial event or realization that maybe some numbers or something's changing, market conditions change, whatever it may be. When we look at these change initiatives, I've seen them be more successful when people are proactive with them. But in order for them to be proactive, they have to be watching some type of indicators or metrics before they kind of get to the edge, so to speak. When you've worked with clients or been in those roles, have you, have you been able to find or identify things that revenue executives should be paying attention to, to get kind of you know, leading indicators that change initiative is probably going to make sense in the near future? You know, there's... Um... There's three things, uh, and you'll see a theme here. I always try to break things down to three or five things. It's got to be an odd number. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's just how I structure things. <laughs> um, but really, you know, number one is like there are metrics you should be looking at. So I've been recently working with a client, and what we started noticing with their metrics is a, and uh, the, there's no rocket science here, right? The pipeline is getting smaller. The win rate is starting to decline, not to the point where you think it's uh, it's a real problem, but you, you're losing more than you were initially, and you're starting to see pricing pressure. And in this scenario, when we dug into it, what was happening is they, they were priced out of line with the marketplace that competitors were coming in underneath them. So these kind of, you know, early warning indicators will give you some sense of what's happening, and if you don't take corrective action, you're going to have a problem. So that's number one around the metrics. Number two is what we just talked about, right? If we are out there talking to customers and if you're hearing similar themes from people, you know this is going to build at at certain points. And you have to sometimes think about this and say, okay, I've heard one or two clients say this, is this really an issue? So you've got to be a little attuned to this really an issue? Could it become an issue? So you've got to have some level of ability to play things out and say, I'm hearing this. What are the implications? Could this become a real issue? And number three is for companies that are really proactive, I do something called um, a war game. And you may be in a situation where sales are great, everything's looking good down the road. But we uh, created this um, simulated war game where we put a lot of, uh, we create teams with competitors and stuff like that. And each team 
acts as if they are that competitor and they basically are looking to win market share in the market. So everyone makes a move, you understand what you hear what everyone else is doing and then they go make another move. And what's amazing is people really get into the role of the <laughs> company they're playing and they get so competitive and they all want to win. And what I find incredible, I've done this a number of times now over the last 15 or so years, it's amazingly predictive of what may happen in the marketplace. Ah, uh, really? Okay. Yeah. Interesting. And it's, really, right. and it's, it's, it's a lot of fun because and it sounds like it's like technology and all that kind of stuff. No, this is like we just put people in teams. We make sure we have the right teams. We frame it right. And it's a two-day workshop, basically. And the insights are incredible. And I always tell clients, you should put this into your planning process now because here's a scenario. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it gives you, it also, I would assume gives you insight into not only your own organization in the market or maybe the way competitors may move, but also the behaviors and, and strengths and maybe weaknesses of the team that you have in house. Oh, I, I think that, that's a great point you bring up because you may actually, what's amazing is uh, sometimes I, I did one of these a few months ago and and one of the board members asked me, so what do you think of our team? And we're like, well, this person really can't think out of box. They're just like, they'll execute. They're just going to do what they do every day. But this person over here who we didn't really think about, super creative, could be a rising star. And they never saw it. And they weren't aware of it because, no. because they hadn't taken them out of the, the kind of siloed nature of the organization. So it's a great, yeah. I think it's a great perspective changer. I would love to learn more, more about how you're doing that. That sounds amazing. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And you know, one of the other ones we found there was there was this one person that the board thought is probably future CEO of the company. And we found that she so dominated the conversation that her team actually did the worst of oh. any of the teams in the whole process. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. It's always great. You know, it's really easy if people are staying in their lanes and you keep them, you know, in, in a certain role, in a certain context for people to, um, you know, mold to it, let's say, right. M map their behaviors to that. When you shake it up and change it a little bit, you start to see really the caliber and different facets of the individuals. I think, it, I think it's brilliant. I, like I said, I'm, um, I'll follow up for sure. Cause I definitely would, would love to know more about that and can, it can easily add to the show notes, some additional information. So when you organizations uh, and you start helping them develop a growth strategy, where do you direct the revenue executives to start looking? What's the, what's the first step? I mean, the war games sounds great, but what's the first you know, place that you guide them to really dig into to make sure that they're going to set up this initiative for success? I think, you know, it, it's a little bit situational also, um, depending on the client. But really, at the end of the day, the question is, we've got to understand what's the problem. Right. I mean, is this, uh, you, we could say, is this a sales optimization issue? So, you know, again, uh, one client I'm working with, they, they're in the um, cybersecurity space. So the market is growing like crazy. However, they're growing at less than market. So the question in their scenario is it's not really a market issue. It's a sales optimization issue. Right. So we have to think about the market, what's going on with the competitors, and what's going on with yourself. So I think that helps us then focus in on 
kind of where to focus our efforts. And then we have to say, okay, is it a product issue as well? Because maybe the sales uh, team is doing well, but it's the products that we have or the pricing that we have, they're not the right. So you've got to look at kind of this whole thing as um, as a collective. Because I, I, you know, no matter what the situation, you can probably always do something to improve tweak sales performance. Sure. Question is, but if it, if sales isn't broken, you may get a 5, 10% improvement, but you've got to fix the other issues first. Yeah, I, I often see companies looking at their organizational, uh, their teams in silos rather than understanding that it is a collective whole, right? So I think your point yeah. is very well taken. You know, I've seen organizations where, you, you know, we focus on obviously the sales optimization stuff. So that's what you bring us in to do. We train your salespeople. But I've seen organizations do that where, okay, we come in and train the salespeople, but the prom, the marketing promise of what the product will deliver, there's a huge disconnect. So even if we get the sales team optimized and, and you know executing the right behaviors, you're still going to have disappointment from the customers because the brand promise is not matching up to what the product delivers, even if the sales force is engaging in an optimized way. That's right. And it's so, just it so becomes, very true. It becomes it becomes an interesting challenge of how do I get out of my silo? How do I break down those silos? How do I get more of a holistic view? And then really how do I you know work together? I think we're seeing that more and more today, that hierarchical, um, we, we, we joke, it comes from you know the baby boomer generational top-down approach. And we're seeing that kind of shift, not only socially with millennials and Gen Z and, and whatever, but we're seeing that change in terms of what people want and how they want to be interacted with. So I think that has a huge impact on the organizations. And of course, for guys like you and me, it opens up huge doors for business. <laughs> Just be honest yeah, about it. Absolutely. <laughs> right. And so when you go in and work with you know, work with these companies to put these teams in place and look at a sales team. Do you have an approach for diagnosing the organization as a whole, you know, kind of as a step one, and then say diving into the sales organization? Kind of what's that process look like that a customer or client might expect to go through with you? Yeah, so the, the, there's uh, three components to this. Um, <laughs> I love it. Um, there's nothing if not that I'm consistent, you know. Um, <laughs> So, so number one is I really need to understand the uh, performance trends. So what's happening? Let's dig into the data. Let's understand where sales are going. And I want to get down to a kind of granular level and probably dig in. Since I probably will be brought in on the sales side, dig into the sales data, essentially. Um, number two is I want to do some level of market analysis, right? To understand what's going on in the marketplace. And this is not kind of, let's say, uh, let's, uh, I recently worked with an information services client. They sell content. Basically, we could look at the overall market. That's one thing, but we need to start segmenting the market and uh, cut the data a little differently. Like, is it a regional issue or could it be the certain segments of the market that are doing well, certain segments that are doing badly? We need to understand all of that. And we want to understand the competitive environment as well understand who else is selling into that space and what's their value proposition versus yours. So what I'm really then trying to get to uh, through this is really understand the different drivers of performance and what's, uh, because once you understand the drivers and which drivers are struggling, you can come out and figure out a solution. And I, I'll tell you, you know, 
you know, people are like, we can't just look at the top level. We have to go granular because there may be different things. Uh, for example, when I was um, at Dow Jones, we looked at our global business was declining 20% a year after the uh, crash. Yeah, and uh, that that was a fantastic case study. Um, <laughs> Scary as hell, I bet. Oh my god, yeah. And but you know, they brought me in. I was. Uh, that's when they brought me into the B two B side, and they're like, "Okay, uh, figure <laughs> out how this. to stabilize this business." <laughs> and uh, it was. We looked at everything, and what we found at the market level was basically there was opportunity for growth in the U.S., but not with the current customer set that we had. We had to go to smaller clients, so that means we had to sell differently. In Northern Europe, which was probably about 35% of our business, the market opportunity was just decimated. There really was no opportunity for growth. Uh, And actually, the market is probably going to shrink. And in Asia, we thought it's basically open field. There's so much opportunity for growth, and it's probably going to be with different customers. So you end up looking at the problem, and if you looked at it at the top level, you're going to come up with one solution. But now we looked at it on a regional basis and came up with different answers for each um, region. Interesting. Interesting. Okay, excellent. So can you give us an example of a client that you've worked with that's kind of gone through the process with you and kind of results that they've realized as a, as a result of the work and engagement with you and, and, and uh, accelerated growth solutions? Yeah, let me, uh, let, you know what, let me uh, carry on with this um, Dow Jones example. Okay. So the situation was we were selling basically information services. Uh, we have... Factiva, if you're familiar with it, it's a yes. database of 36,000 news sources and you buy a license to Factiva and you get access to um, 36,000 sources of news. Great for librarians, anyone who's in a research-heavy role. Our focus, and we were the premium price product in the marketplace, LexisNexis, had a similar product but a lower price product. We had a premium product. Everyone loved the product. Our focus was Fortune 500, primarily financial services, they bought and we sold by seats. It was fine when the economy was growing. As soon as the recession hit and banks started going out of business and or needed to cut costs, basically they cut back people licenses. And in a lot of cases, just uh, went from, let's say, 100 seats to 10 seats. Mm. or um, just got rid of Factiva altogether and went to someone like LexisNexis as a cheaper solution. So that's why we were seeing 20% declines in our sales. So this was a bigger issue, right? So we actually looked at our products, and there was another group focused on the products and said, how do we create new products for new segments in the marketplace that could potentially show growth? So, for example, the PR space. What I looked at was kind of said, okay, let's look at the sales organization. Let's, number one, try to understand the opportunity in each region so we align our resources. So we actually globally reduced our sales force from 600 to 500 people based on the opportunity, just a smaller business we're dealing with. We also actually, within that, we cut heavier in North America and added more people in Asia because that's where the growth opportunity was. So that was step one. The second thing we found was because now people were buying smaller uh, deals, our average deal used to be $100,000. 
we had dropped to sub 10,000 on the average deal. Oof. So, yeah, and we had expensive field reps. So the question is, like, do I need that many field reps? What's the mix between field versus someone sitting at a desk as a lower-cost resource? So we decided to shift more to in-house salespeople. And we were planning to build two global centers, one in the Midwest and one in Barcelona. So we changed the mix there. And then we also kind of changed the structure of how many. We decided that you know, best practices that hunt, hunters and farmers, they have different skill sets. And we had different issues, so we created more of a hunter-farmer model. But then we dug into the sales process. We actually started interviewing our customers. And what we found from them was that our salespeople were not consulted enough and clients and customers wanted help. They wanted, in a complex world, they wanted a resource that would help them navigate the choices. So we completely threw out our sales process and created a bio, what, what I call a biocentric sales process. So, you know, traditional sales processes are like, Oh, I contacted, I have a prospect, I contacted the prospect, I got a meeting set up, I send, I had a meeting, I right. send them a proposal, and that moves you down a sales process, and typically the more you, for the longer you move, the higher your prob, uh, you increase the um, probability of success. What we saw is you may be at stage four in your sales process, the customer may still be at stage one in his buying process. So we said, well, we should be thinking about the buying process and you don't exit one stage to stage two until the buyer has given you an indication. Uh, so the exit criteria was something the buyer did to move you to stage two. And we reframed everything to think like the buyer. What is the buyer going through? I don't care what I've done, but it's really what is the buyer doing? What are the problems they're thinking about? How they're walking through their sales purchase process? And how are we aligning well with them? That had the impact of improving our win rate considerably. The other kind of interesting thing we learned, and I throw this out, it takes a salesperson twice as long to lose a deal as to win a deal. (laughs) Think about that, right? If I could identify someone who's really not going to buy early in the process, I've just saved myself so much time. Right. That I can now put it towards others. And there were, and we found indicators that would uh, say they're not going to purchase. For example, someone who typically won't purchase tends to take much longer to schedule a meeting. They're just not responsive. So you can figure this out early in the process. And I'm not saying you throw them away, but you put them on the back burner a little. So we did things like that. The other thing we did is we surveyed our um, sales force to understand where are they spending time. And we found they were spending only 60% of their time on selling activities. Benchmark is 80%. So we're like, okay, what's taking that extra time? And we found that we were putting too many administrative requirements on them. So we just got rid of all of that. We actually created a small team who could handle a lot of the administrative yeah. What you've now done is you've gone from 60 to 80%. You've increased your selling capacity by 33%. So there are a lot of things like that we did. We changed the incentive plan. We reassigned territories. And we created a curriculum, uh, 18-month curriculum of training. We created specific requirements 
for the managers. We trained the managers and the managers trained the team, all that kind of stuff. And it was tracked, monitored. And essentially, through all of that, we went from negative 20 to 3% growth in 18 months. Wow, a 23% swing in a down market. Yeah. Wow, impressive. I mean, it, it's a shit, and it's funny. The buyers, the buyer's perspective angle is it's such a subtle shift, but it has such large ramifications for not only the buyers, but also for the companies that are selling and the way they sell it. I mean, listen to all the structural changes and responsiveness you guys had to had to address. I mean, that's a pretty impressive swing in a in a really rough market. Yeah. And that's like almost like the one thing I would I tell a lot of the sales teams I work with, right? Put yourself in this buyer's shoes. Think about what they're going through. That will fundamentally change how you think about the sales process and how you're more consultative. And I think in a lot of cases for consultants like us, this is how we think anyway. Right. Right. We're thinking about solving the buyer's problems. So it's, it's, that's all we're applying here. Right. Yeah. I had a, I had a customer the other day that was, uh, I was talking to one of their top reps and he was chasing a, a well-known brand that everybody on the podcast that's listening to the podcast would know. And he was lamenting the fact that they wouldn't, you know, respond, engage back to your point about scheduling meetings. And I, and I just simply said, so why are you wasting time on them? Well, it's a well-known brand. Well, yeah, okay. But if they're not in the buying window, you're spinning cycles, go, go focus on something yeah. else, right? They're not ready. That's right. They don't have a compelling event. They don't think this is a critical initiative. There's something inside. Then, like you, don't throw it away, but reorganize your day and prioritize accordingly. Right. Well, our goal is to connect with people that are that have problems that we can solve and are in a place where they have a reason to change. So true. Excellent. All right. So let's change direction a little bit here. We ask all of our guests two standard questions towards the end of each interview. The first is simply, if somebody doesn't have a relationship with you, they don't have a referral into you and they want to reach out, they've got something that they think you're going to find interesting. Maybe it solves a problem. Maybe they want to sell to you, but there's no existing connection for you personally. What have you found to be the most effective way for people to reach out, capture your attention, build credibility and secure 15 or 20 minutes on your calendar? So I would say I'm, I'm a little more open to salespeople reaching out to me because I want to kind of hear their pitch and see what they have to say. But having said that, I've limited time. So the people who get my attention, again, I would say everyone needs to do this. I feel like a broken record. <laughs> is Say something in your communication to me that indicates that, A, you've done some research or you understand the issues that I may be facing. Don't just think because I'm a small consulting firm that I just have standard issues. Well, do a little work, figure it out, and if you hit on an issue, I will definitely talk with you. Excellent. Perfect. So last question, we call it our acceleration insight. If there was one thing you could tell sales, marketing, or professional services people, one piece of advice, that if they listened... Uh, you believe would help them hit their targets or exceed their goals? What would it be and why? I think you have to put yourself in the buyer's shoes. And I'll give you a quick example around this. So I was running this team at the journal and we were selling newspapers into hotels. So unglamorous. We were the number two <laughs> provider and it was pretty much, you know, they had to have it for the business travelers, the journal. Number one is USA Today. Their circulation was 12 times what ours was. And remember, they were one, we were number two. Wow. We are 
Yeah. So I'm like, well, this is really, uh, and the business, our business have been declining 2% a year. And I'm like, well, this isn't exciting to me. We've got to figure out how to grow this business. So really came at it to say, okay, we're selling to the brands, Marriott, Hyatt, Hilton, so on. What are the issues they're grappling with and how can I use my product to solve their problem? We reframed it completely and then we said, okay, how is USA Today solving that problem and how can we position ourselves to be better than USA Today? We came up with a solution. In 12 months, we grew the business from, we grew the business 150%. Whoa. Yeah. Just by, ta- just by switching the perspective and understanding what the buyers are dealing with and how you might be able to solve exactly. it. Exactly. Amazing. Excellent. Excellent. All right. Perfect. Um, MTS, thank you very much for being on the show today. For listeners interested in, in talking to you more, what's the easiest way to get a hold of you? LinkedIn, email, website? Yeah. LinkedIn connections are good. Or they could email me. It's MTS, so I-M-T-I-A-Z at ACCGrowthSolutions.com. Excellent. Again, thank you for being on the show. All right, everybody, that does it for this episode. You know the drill. Check us out at B2BRevExec.com. Share the episode with friends, families, coworkers. And until next time, we at Value Selling Associates wish you all nothing but the greatest success. You've been listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.